Perfect. It's, it's really good to be back. Um, last weekend, myself and Paul and Dorian were in Istanbul in Turkey, um, and then in Rome in Italy, and it was, uh, it was a good trip, uh, more jet lag for me than typical, or than typically it would be, which I don't know, I was fighting jet lag more than normal, uh, but it was a good trip. I'll fill you in a little bit in just a second, but uh, I'm really, really glad to be back, man. I miss you guys dearly, love you dearly. It's so good to be here. Um, that being said, this is going to be a fun morning. It's going to be a fun morning because we're actually going to pause the series that we've been going through, uh, the Gospel of John. We've titled the series, Jesus Is. We're just exploring everything in the life of Jesus through the Gospel account of John. And uh, we're pausing that series this morning because what we're going to do is, um, the way the morning's going to go is, I'm going to kind of, it's a different morning. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Istanbul, kind of the, the country or the, the city there in Turkey. I'm going to share a bit about the trip that we were on. Um, and more specifically, Paul and Dorian are going to come up here in just, in just a minute. They're going to share, which I'm excited about. They're going to share kind of their experience in the trip. And then we're going to open the scriptures together and we're going to chat through why we do trips like this um, and why we do them so regularly. Typically, this is about, I don't know, maybe two or three of these kinds of trips a year. Why do we do these? Why do we do these so regularly? So that being said... I want to fill you in on kind of some things about Istanbul. You guys familiar with the, the city of Istanbul in Turkey? Raise your hand if you are. If you're not, I just want to make sure I have a pulse in the room. Great. Okay, so th- the way that the trip went was we spent six days in Istanbul, and then we spent like two days-ish, uh, kind of two days off actually, on the way home in Rome. So Istanbul and Rome. And if you're familiar with both those cities, primarily Istanbul is what we're going to be talking about today, but it has just such a rich history, man. So much history. Uh, if you're familiar with like uh, Roman history, it was actually the, the, the capital of Rome for quite some time. You're familiar with Constantinople? That used to be Istanbul, or Istanbul used to be Constantinople. So the thing about the city of Istanbul is it's such a, like a strategic location, okay? Because it's the gateway to the Near East. So you have like China, the Middle East, the Near East, and Europe. And Istanbul is this, it's this beautiful city, I'm, thank you guys, uh, it's, it's this beautiful city that kind of like straddles Europe and Asia. And it's funny because actually the, the border between Europe and Asia runs right through the city of Istanbul. So you can be in the city and be in Europe. And you can also be in the city and be in Asia. It's this kind of cool thing, right? But the reason I say it's such a strategic city is because it's kind of the gateway into the Near East. And primarily the Silk Road. If you're familiar with like world history, the Silk Road is that kind of uh, those countries just west of China that kind of are the gateway into the West from the East. So you have China in the East, you have Europe in the West, and the Silk Road is this kind of cluster of countries that kind of, like I said, kind of straddle the in-between there that are kind of the gateway to the West. Um, <clears throat> if you're familiar with like the Stan countries, you know, like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, I can't pronounce any of them, Kyrgyzstan, there's so many Stan countries. That's kind of this area of the Silk Road. Why do I share that with you? That area has about 400 million people. Like, we throw around numbers a lot. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, how many people that is? 400 million people with names and faces. Like, precious people, man. Men, women, children. Those 400 million people, that that area, the Silk Road, it's almost completely unreached with the gospel. 
people sometimes that you've never even heard of Jesus. It's wild. <clears throat> in Istanbul, that city is the gateway into that region. Okay, like I said, it borders uh, the, the border of Asia and Europe runs right down the middle. Um, as far as population goes, Istanbul has a population of just about 16 million people. That's just the city alone. And of that 16 million people, it's estimated that there's between seven and 8,000 Christians, which might sound like a lot, um, but it's less than half a percent, which is wild. I think this, if I remember correctly, the census data for Temecula, like um, this, just the city, not the valley, I think it was somewhere in like the low 30 percentile. For, and there's a lot of people in our, in our city and in our valley who don't know the love of Jesus. So you can kind of get the feel for how it might be here and then I kind of let your mind go to what half a percent would look like and, and a massive amount of people. So <clears throat> why do we go on this trip? What's the purpose of this trip? It was really great, actually. We, we came to this, <laughs> uh, this, this, actually, we stayed in a hotel, which is funny because typically when we go on these trips, we always stay with like a local church. A local church will host us and take care of us and provide for us. It's a wonderful thing. This was the first time that we actually had to stay in a hotel. And the reason we had to stay in a hotel was because we don't have a church on the ground. There's not a whole lot of Christians even present. <clears throat> so we, we gathered um, about 40-ish church leaders, pastors from around the whole world, came to, came to Istanbul, came to Turkey. Why? To, like, really, we wanted to pray over the city. And primarily, we wanted to explore how we could work together to see more churches planted in that region in the Near East. Okay, because there's such a significant need there. You tracking with me? So that was the purpose of the trip. Okay, so that being said, um, I want to call Paul and Dorian on up. Come on up, guys. Give them a round of applause. <clears throat> so the reason I'm having Paul and Dorian come up is because, um, uh, maybe give the guys the stools, baby. Thank you. You're a treasure, Ebony. I love you. I'll take this up. Oh, I'm going to feed back. I'll try to limbo it. Um, thank you, babe. <clears throat> okay, so the reason I'm having these guys come up is because, um, multiple reasons, but whenever you kind of get out of your context, whenever you get in any kind of a foreign environment, whether it is another country or it is like just a portion of a place you've never been or a place that makes you slightly uncomfortable, uh, God has a way of doing kind of remarkable things. He has a way of, of making us aware of things that maybe we're blind to or maybe we're not experiencing on the regular. Or maybe it's not fresh in our hearts and minds. It happens to me every single time I travel, every single time I, I get out of my context. God just does something. Those of you guys that have been in different parts of the world, you know what, the feeling that I'm talking about, where it just kind of feels like a bit of a veil is lifted and you see things in a way that maybe you didn't prior to. And oftentimes there's so much value in being able to not just experience those for yourself, I mean, you'll hear from the guys, they're going to share some things for, about them personally, but it actually, it, when you invite other people into your experience, it can be encouraging, it can be challenging, and it can be really, really beneficial. So that's kind of the heart behind this. Um, before we, get, we jump in here, guys, I just want to take a moment and say that um, we all love Paul and Dorian. They're an incredible part of our church. They're, they're, they're leaders, they're influencers, they sacrifice a ton, they love the church in practical ways. Um, none of you guys are surprised by that. But I just want to take a moment and say, like, they really did sacrifice a lot to go on this trip. Not just the time, not just the money, but they really did sacrifice a lot. And you know who actually sacrificed a lot more than they did was their wives. 
So Lindsay and Rosie, want to bless you, honor you ladies. Like, dude, holding down the fort when your man's away for about eight days. Oh, okay. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot the travel days. There was like two, yeah, they spent like two days on an airplane, okay, legitimately, so there's your extra two days. So no, legitimately though, 10 days, like that's a big sacrifice, man. It really is. Um, and you'll see in just a bit, like it really is worth it. <clears throat> so all that being said, like I said, oftentimes God does remarkable things. I really wanted you to hear directly from them. There's a lot of stories, a lot of stuff, we won't have a ton, like enough time to go through everything, but... I think it's hugely valuable for you guys to hear from these two remarkable guys about just their time. Sound good? Kind of an informal. I know this is different than what we would normally do, but I think it's cool. Okay, so, Dee, we'll start with you. Here's your question. This is like kind of, I feel like I'm a, like I'm like an, Is this on? Here we go. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, what would you say, this is for both of you guys, but we'll start with you, Dee. What would you say is like a moment of the trip that impacted you the most, like that had the biggest impact on you personally? Cool. Um, yeah, so it's good to be back, first of all. Um, it's good to see everybody. It's good to touch down and hit that USA soil. It was amazing. Um, I wanted Paulie to go first, so, but I'll go first. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the most uh, the impact that I had was to actually to see the need. Um, it was a big sacrifice for me to go out there to... Um, um, sacrifice the time, um, sacrifice just pretty much everything, and just to be away from my wife and everything. But once we got there and we started hearing people speak about the need in Istanbul and further on the reach, it was remarkable just to hear, like, hey, there needs to be God-fearing, loving Christians out there on the floor. And it, it really just stirred my heart. Um, yeah, the city is, is, is vast, it's big, it's busy, it's, like, tremendous. I, I've never seen a city like that that was just moving that fast. We went to the bazaar and just saw all these different people, like, you know, selling you stuff or <laughs> just trying to, you, to get connected to you somehow, you know, and it was overwhelming. Um, I felt fear um, first. When I got there, it was just like, it's a different country. It's, um, it's just a different dynamic. Um, I didn't know the language. I was trying to, like, follow Paulie and uh, Tom, like, as much as I could. They were like veterans out there. I was like, uh, what do I do? <laughs> but after, like, some of the speakers came and spoke about the city, there was this calm. There was this peace that just went over my body. And I was just like, Wow. God's reach is so vast, it's so far, and it's, this world is so small once you look at it, hmm. but it's just, like, amazing to see that there's, there is a need, and there needs to be boots on the floor, and there needs to be people praying for the Istanbul. So um, I felt overwhelmed, and I think that was the biggest impact, um, just to see people worship in a different country and come together. Like, I mean, we had people from South Africa. We had people from, you know, Dubai. You know, we had people everywhere. And the common denominator was we love Jesus. And we want to see Istanbul love Jesus as well. We want to see people come to Christ. So uh, worship was phenomenal, just raising our hands to the Lord and surrendering and saying yes to Jesus. And God met us at the end of our yes, and it was amazing. 
That's that great, was, Dorian. That was the most impact. Perfect. Polly, a moment that impacted you the most? Yeah, I was going to mess with you guys and tell the story of Sonair, our cab driver <laughs> that wouldn't leave us alone. Yep. But I'll spare you that. So I'll tell you that one by coffee later. Um, yeah, there's a few different themes that popped out for me. One of, one of them uh, was suffering. So something we don't think a whole lot about here, but uh, we got in there and we had multiple speakers kind of come throughout. And, and two of the ones that really hit me were these missionaries. One that's in Kyrgyzstan, American missionary that's there with her family and living full-time in Kyrgyzstan. And then this African guy, I think from Zimbabwe, Brian, yeah, yeah. that's actually working in Istanbul as a Christian. So one of 8,000, you know. And they were just sharing some of the stories of, like, the legit on-the-ground, day-to-day suffering that's involved. And uh, that started to sort of stir up in me. And then it ultimately came to a head because we went to Rome. Anybody been to the Mamertine prison in Rome? Anybody in here? So it was a trip. So the Mamertine prison was where Paul was actually in prison before he was executed. And it's where he wrote Second Timothy. So we got to go into this place and literally, like, sit in this prison cell, you know. And it was gnarly. I mean, it was... It looked like a cave. There was a little hole, like a sewer, basically, that they would drop down, you know, morsels of food. They would throw the prisoners in there. And uh, that concept of, like, suffering hit hard. When you're sitting in this freezing cold, damp dark, there's no bathroom in there. Like, him and Peter were in there together. And it was just, it was super gnarly. And honestly, that moment for me, in the moment, kind of made me start comparing and I was like man I don't suffer enough like I don't do enough and it kind of sort of hit me in a in a way it really shouldn't have but I said you know thank God for British Airways 11 hour no wi-fi (laughs) (laughs) plenty of time to reflect (laughs) 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 but it was cool man because uh I I think God like spoke to me in that moment It, it suffering way more about um how tight are we holding that comfort idol and like here, I know we hold it very tight sometimes. I struggle with that too. Um, but how tight are we holding that? Are we really open to like listening to God's voice and what are we really called to? And uh, sometimes going to call us out of comfort, you know? Like are we actually open to receiving kind of a hard word and going and, and doing that stuff or not? And uh, one of the things that also hit me big was like God's metrics aren't always the same as ours, you know? It's great, dude. So it's like this idea that, yeah, Paul, he wrote this thing that so many millions of people have read and been impacted by, but like... It's kind of a trip, because if you think, if you sit in his cell, like, he was just writing a letter to his friend, you know? God's the one who decided to use that and, like, bring it out to the rest of the world and stuff. So just that idea that, like, God's metrics, the way he, he judges is completely different than, than our kind of context here. So it was impactful. Sitting in that cell in Rome, I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah. yeah, it was a special moment, dude, for sure. <clears throat> so you've heard a couple different moments that they shared. Maybe zoom out 30,000 foot. And maybe share with them just a bit of, like, the biggest takeaway for you personally. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do want to piggyback on uh, being a Roman in uh, that prison, that cell. Um, but I think the biggest impact, the takeaway that I actually had was um, keep going. Um, there's, there's moments in, in your life where you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm sacrificing, I'm, I'm giving up, and um, I might in, be in a prison mentally, you know, and there is those times where it's just like, you got to keep going, because like God meets you in, in significant, big ways. Um, it, it really hit me as well, like coming from Turkey into Rome, um, 
it's just like because you see the sacrifice that they're doing in Turkey from Brian and and just just the seven thousand Christians that are are living sacrificial and sometimes feel like they want to give up and sometimes they feel like you know hey I, I can't do it any longer but then that's when we come in and encourage them and and tell them to keep moving forward um, and. It hit me after where we were in the prison, and I went home, and I just started writing in my journal. And I did CBR, um, which was amazing that I did it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, inside joke, guys. It's like a Bible reading thing that we do to really engage with God, but it's so good. Dude. It's great. But we were, in, uh, we were in Acts 20, and uh, it was basically Paul just talking about all the people that were encouraging him to keep on moving. And I, and I wrote something in CBR, and I'm going to share it with you guys. Um, I said, yo, <laughs> <laughs> Acts 20 has always touched my heart. Being here in Rome and having this beautiful opportunity to walk the streets Paul walked and to visit his cell has been nothing short of amazing. I feel more alive than I have ever felt, more loved than I can have ever imagined more gratitude for the simple things of life, and more grace than I even deserve. I can feel Paul's words when he says in verse 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of, my, of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This passage was super encouraging. Like, it, it like, took my breath away when I was reading that. And, like, that's the biggest kind of thing that really hit me personally by being in Turkey, seeing the sacrifice, then going to Rome, sitting in that cell, and then reading Acts 20 after that. It's just like... Wow, we we have a great God, and we got to keep going. We got to fight the good fight continuously because He meets you right after that light. That's great, That's great. What about you, Polly? Biggest takeaway? Yeah, there was a uh, Rob Hutton. He's a pastor. I think he's uh, he's in Dubai, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so just an epic dude, and he was one of the last teachers to go. And there's this. He had this quote that uh, uh, it totally just capped off the whole thing because we're in there talking about strategy and church planting and like how it's going to work and you know where to go and all, all these different things and he said this thing is like uh, if we're going to change the world with Jesus then we better be with Jesus you know and that kind of hit me that the gospel message really is the strategy it is the power it's like all we really have in all this stuff so we can come up with all these amazing earthly strategies and all this stuff but like at the end of the day um, that's it you know so that gospel Message of creation, fall, redemption, ultimately restoration, and then Andy Rogers, which yeah. is funny. You got to go to Istanbul to listen to a dude that lives forty minutes. From here. <laughs> but yeah. he gave this message on like um, that gospel message is actually scandalous. You know, like if you really think about it, it's not just like a cute thing that we tell the kids on Sunday morning. Like that prodigal son message, the fact that. That dude would go off, blow his dad's entire inheritance, ask for it early, leave, do this whole thing, and then, um, you know, come back and somehow get a party thrown for him. And like, that's absurd. Like, people would not be happy about that, you know. But the, the people that receive it, that's where our hope kind of comes from. So that, that was the big takeaway for me. Uh, 
so often, just in my own business or family, I'm thinking of different strategies, different ways to try to bring the gospel into it or like different angles to kind of come. But uh, ultimately, the gospel is the whole point. You know, that's where all the power is going to come from in the first place. So that was cool. That's great, guys. All right, one more. Can we do one more? You guys alive? Cool. I'm waiting for you guys to like cheer them on and like chant their names. Thank you. There we go. Okay, so in light of your experience on this trip, uh, if you could encourage our church family with one thing, what would it be? Yeah, um, for me is um, obey. And I say this in, in, in light of me actually saying yes to this trip. Um, and honestly, like not even knowing what to expect <laughs> and um, hearing that, that faint whisper in, in my heart saying, hey, I, I want you to go on this trip and for me to actually say yes and then follow through with actually obeying. Um, if I can encourage you guys, like, like God meets you at the end of your yes, which is crazy phenomenal how he does it and he never like ceases to surprise you in supernatural ways um so i, I would definitely say say yes say uh, it's obey and um it's it's funny too because i was thinking like the, the the rocks usually cry out you know they will cry out if we didn't you know they will cry out his name you know and I just don't want the rocks to take my place. And I want to praise him in my obedience, if that makes any sense to you guys. Like, um, because I would say yes again <laughs> and again and again just to be used and met by God. You know, like it was a, one of the greatest opportunities that I can ever imagine. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity. But if I can encourage you guys on anything, it's really being obedient. Um, saying yes is one thing, but then following through and being obedient with it um, in everything that we do is phenomenal. So that's, be encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> well done, man, well done. Yeah, and I was just going to encourage you guys that, like, one thing that hit me big was um, yeah, you walk into this room and, like, if church really isn't a building, it's not like a place, an event or anything, it's a people, being able to walk in and, and meet like the global family, you know, this idea that you, you, you all too, whether you go or not, like we have this huge, massive global family kind of around the world doing things and amazing, amazing things. And we get to be part of that. Like um, how we can contribute all that. That's cool. But like, yeah, just rest in the fact that like you're part of that big, massive global family. And that, to me, that, that struck big time. It's kind of cheesy, but like it was, we had a cool time. We had a very romantic trip, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were walking through a, <laughs> we were walking through Rome. It was this epic, like rainy walk through the streets of Rome and all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, Dorian and I had like umbrellas on. By the way, if you've traveled with Tom, you know his his miraculous silver hair that doesn't it doesn't get wet. <laughs> Which is perfectly maintained, not getting wet the whole time. But for me and Dorian, we had to have umbrellas on. And, uh, but I had this weird moment where I was like, we're walking through one of the most beautiful cities on planet Earth, you know. I had this umbrella on. And so all I was seeing was like what's right out in front of me. And uh, 
I had this moment of like the global family is so big and beautiful. It's almost like you take off the umbrella and you see there's so much just going on. And like to be able to be part of that, to have a seat at the table, to have an invitation, like a little bit of a slice of heaven even to walk in and all these people from across the world, different tribes and tongues love you just because of a shared love for Jesus. Like that's for you guys too. That's not just for us. So that's, that's what I have. Well done, gentlemen. Yeah, give them a hand, guys. Well done. You can take it. Okay, hopefully that blesses you. I have 20 minutes left. So, thank you guys. That was wonderful. I'm so glad you got to hear from them. It really was an epic trip. There's more stories you can hear, especially about the Sonny. We nicknamed him Sonny, our cab driver in Istanbul. I've never experienced anything like that in my entire life. That's another story. Uh, Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles uh, and turn to Exodus chapter 17. I think I can do this, Harrison. I think I can. Okay, while you're flipping there, I'm going to just pray for us really quick before we open God's word. You can join me. If you're flipping, I trust that you can pray to your creator and flip in your Bible. So, um, Father, I just want to recognize your goodness to us, your provision. Even when we feel like, um, like without, like we are lacking, Um, there is breath in our lungs. Um, You are our provider and you're good to us all the time. Um, Your goodness to us is not dependent on our performance. That's radical. That's grace. That's love. That's the gospel. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We want you to teach us. We want you to show us more about who you are and more about what that means for us and, um, and more about how to live an abundant life of obeying you, enjoying you, and operating like you, Jesus. So help us. We love you, Jesus, so much. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to kind of give you the punchline to the joke, take you through maybe a handful of passages to, to show you some stuff. But here's what I want you to consider for a moment, okay? I want to draw your attention to the connection between the spiritual and the physical. Okay, not to get super mystic on you, but the reality of the connection between a spiritual realm and the physical realm. You with me? And I want you to, as we go through these passages, I want you to notice how connected these two things are, the spiritual and the physical, okay? So Exodus chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 8 through 13, okay? Listen in. At Rephidim, Amalek, Amalek really quickly is like a people group, it's like a tribe, the Amalekites, Amalek came and fought against Israel. So they're they're coming after Israel, right? They're they're picking a fight, okay? Verse 9, Moses, you guys know Moses. Moses said to Joshua, kind of his second in command, the guy who would ultimately come up under him and and lead the people of Israel. Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Verse 10, Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Listen in verse 11. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put down his hand, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hand grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hand, so they came alongside him, one on, yeah, one, on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Okay, 
I want you to get this picture. This is bizarre. If you were following, this is, this is bizarre. You have Moses, and he basically says, okay, the fight's happening. You guys go get some men, go fight them. I'm going to go up on the hill, and I'm going to put my hands in the air, which is essentially a posture of prayer, okay? But I'm going to put my hands in the air physically, and as long as I'm keeping my hands in the air, Israel, the people of God, are prevailing in the fight. But when I drop my hands physically, the, the Amalekites now prevail in the fight. Are you, connect, are you seeing the connection here? So you have a physical act that has spiritual implications that then has another physical act. You see the connection? Totally bizarre. Let's keep going. Uh, flip over in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's going to be towards the right. I'm doing good. Sweet. 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 14 through 23. There's some alarming things in this passage, just to forewarn you. I don't want you to get caught up on them. We can, I can, maybe I can preach on it another time, but just follow along here, okay? If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. If you're familiar with uh, Old Testament, Saul is the king, right? King Saul. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. That's the part that everyone's like, wait a second, what? Don't get caught up on that, okay? At this point, Saul has completely rejected God. He's completely abandoned God in his ways. He's rejected God, and God is justly punishing Saul. So I don't want you to get caught up on this, people. Let's keep reading, because there's something else that you need to see here, okay? Verse 15. So Saul, he's the king. So Saul's servants said to him, you see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord, the Lord here, he's talking, the servants are talking about their Lord, Saul, the king, right? So let our Lord command your servants, them, here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. You know what the lyre is? It's a stringed instrument. It's like a harp, okay? So you're looking for someone who plays the harp. Whenever the evil spirit from the Lord comes on you, that person can then play the lyre and you will feel better. Verse 17, then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a wineskin, and one young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. So they're sending David off to Saul. Okay, affirming Saul's request. I need someone that can play the lie. They send David. Verse 21. When David came to Saul, he entered his service. Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul, then Saul sent word to Jesse, that's David's dad, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. Listen to verse 23. This is what I want you to zone in. I want you to focus in on. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. You get the picture. Saul abandons God's ways, and now part of that judgment is there's evil spirits that are now tormenting Saul, okay? David plays his instrument, and the evil spirits flee. You seeing the picture here? Physical and spiritual connected. Okay, turn over to Luke chapter four. We're doing great. 
Luke chapter 4, verse 40. This will be much shorter. I'm going to go a couple more passages, but they're really short, okay? Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Thank you, guys. This is what it says. When the sun was setting, all, you see that word all? That usually means everything, right? All, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. The him there is Jesus. So all the sick people get brought to Jesus. And then what does it say? What does it say? As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Physical, spiritual. So you have Jesus laying his hands on someone, that's physical, and it results in a spiritual miraculous healing. You tracking with this? Okay, go to Acts chapter 28. Because it's not just Jesus. This happens all throughout the New Testament. But yeah, Jesus is God. He's got powers. Yes. Go to Acts chapter 28, verse 8. For the sake of time, I'm just going to jump in. If you're flipping, it'll be up there. Acts chapter 8. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 28, verse 8. Publius's father. That's a great name. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul, this is the apostle Paul, okay, wrote good chunks of the New Testament. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. That's the, the CSB. The NIV says that, it translates it this way. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. So you have these, you're getting the same picture. So it's not just Jesus, it's not just Paul. Like laying of the hands, physical act results in spiritual, there's a connection there. I just want to make sure you're seeing this, okay? So all these examples, you might be like, okay, hey, dude, these are all really important people in the Bible. Like you have Moses, right? You have King David. You have Jesus. You have Paul. That's like the Mount Rushmore of Christian leader, of, of biblical leaders. Like, okay, yeah, of course, those guys, there's like a special thing for them. There's a special anointing on them. Let me read you one more. Um, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It says this. There was a disciple. Disciple means learner, like, like an apprentice. Someone who's learning. A disciple, they're talking about a disciple of Jesus. So someone who's learning to follow Jesus, learning to enjoy him, learning to obey him, learning to operate like him, right? So a disciple, regular dude. Regular guy, doesn't say an apostle. Doesn't say a pastor even. A disciple, Someone who follows Jesus. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Verse 11, get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Really quickly, this Saul that we're talking about now is not King Saul in the Old Testament. This is Saul of Tarsus, the guy who would become the Apostle Paul. Right? You guys hopefully know this story in the Bible. Uh, Saul from Tarsus has this gnarly encounter with the risen Jesus. Knocks him off of his horse. And he's like, Saul's in the, in the process of organizing the murder of Christians. And Jesus shows up. The risen Jesus is like, hey dude, why are you, uh, why are you oppressing my people? Why are, why, are you, why are you trying to kill these people? He, he confronts him with the reality of what he's doing. And it, it says that, he, he, that that encounter was so powerful that Paul becomes blind, or Saul at the time becomes blind. That's the guy we're talking about. It's right, it's right near this, this portion, okay? So that, this is the guy. To the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. That's essentially the house of Paul. Since he is praying there. Listen to verse 12. 
in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Skip down to verse 17. So Ananias obeys God. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell off or fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Regular dude lays his hands, a physical action, on Saul of Tarsus and the dude's sight comes back. So, the common theme in this hand, these handful of passages that I want you to see is that the spiritual and the physical are connected. They're connected. You have Moses and his raisings of his arms, right? And, and how that affected the battle. You have the evil spirits leaving. The stop. They're not, not tormenting Saul anymore. When? When David physically plays his harp. You have Jesus, you have Paul, you have Ananias, and a bunch of other examples in the New Testament I didn't have time to share with you. Laid hands on people and they're healed. So, What we do in the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm and vice versa. Are you with me? You get it? Okay. If you remember, Paul said this. The Apostle Paul later in his life wrote to the Ephesian Christians in the city of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. He said this. Keep in mind, what we do in the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm. They're connected. He wrote this. He said in in verse 12 of chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What Paul's doing here is he's drawing, he's drawing the Christian's attention to the spiritual realm and he's saying that the real battle is taking place there and it's impacting the physical. What does that mean for us? This all sounds really mystic. You're probably freaked out right now. Like, what are you, you're, you're a loon, Tom. What are you talking about? Let me read you a quote. This is like kind of bring it down to us in our life, okay? Andy Crouch says this, quote, listen to this. Human beings, which is everybody in the room, human beings are bodies. They are bodies. This is much truer than saying we have bodies, as if we could do without them or leave them behind. We are also souls, unique and irreplaceable selves that exist in and beyond our physical nature. We don't have souls any more than we have bodies. We are both soul and body together. And the Christian faith, rooted in ancient Hebrew belief, teaches that they were always meant to go together. And thanks to the resurrection of the body because of Jesus, they always will. I want you to see this, guys. I want you to see this. To separate the spiritual and the physical is to violate what it means to be human. They're both. They're connected. What does that have to do with a trip to Istanbul? Our physical presence matters spiritually. Just being there, just worshiping and praising God, 40 people in a room, just praying and asking God to pour out his spirit. Our physical presence matters there because the battle isn't against flesh and blood. The battle isn't against like 
like politicians. The battle isn't against different religions, like their leaders. The battle isn't against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual war for the souls of millions of people in the Near East. And our physical presence matters spiritually. You with me? Um, they shared a little bit. I got, oh man, this is going to be bad. I'm going to crank through this. Uh, the guy shared a, a little bit about a couple different missionaries that we got to talk with and shared with us. Um, I want to try to share this really quickly. One of the guys, um, <clears throat> he's actually in the city of Istanbul, and it's like a struggle, man. It is a struggle. They're, they're, it's, a, it's a hard road to go. And um, because, you know, there's so few Christians in the region. And here's the thing about, like, church planning in general. Even if it's in an environment, like, this is an environment that's, fairly safe and accepting to the church at large, you know? It's kind of like, oh, cool, you're planning church, whatever. There, it's not like that at all, right? So you have so few Christians, you can't do it alone. One of the things that he shared, he said, like, apologetics is not working. And by apologetics, it's like, it's like logical reasoning for belief in the gospel, belief in the Bible, belief in Jesus. He's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. He's like, but what does work is this idea of signs and wonders, the miraculous, the spiritual, when the physical and the spiritual connect in and God breaks in with miraculous power to bring his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his way, whether it be healings, whether it be like Dorian talked about just obedience, whether just these, these beautiful moments, signs and wonders that point to the power and the glory and the goodness of God, that works. So he's sharing this, right? And he's talking about his struggle, Another lady, um, uh, I probably already said names, but either way, I think they're safe. This woman, um, remarkable story. She told us like when she was a young girl, she got diagnosed, I forget what it's called. She got diagnosed with this crazy disease to where she literally, she was told she could never eat and drink ever again. Like it was an an intestinal thing. Um, And forgive me, I'm just, I'm so ignorant a lot of times with health stuff, but like uh, she she was told um, as a young girl, she would never eat and drink again. Her parents were missionaries. And so essentially, like, she, t- she said, what did she say? She goes, so in a day, my parents basically, f- they were basically told that their daughter had a death sentence and it would cost them all the money that they possibly had just to keep her going for a short amount of time. And they're on the mission field. And it's just this gnarly thing, right? But then she goes, and she tells a story about her healing. Long story short, um, 80 centimeters of her intestines were miraculously healed, like they miraculously grew back, and now she can eat and drink food. It's amazing, right? So she's filled with so much faith, which is trust. She's filled with so much trust. I'll do whatever you want. Jesus, you healed me. Whatever you want me to do. He sends her and now her husband to Kyrgyzstan. Not a lot of Christians in Kyrgyzstan. So again, toiling, working, striving to get the gospel of Jesus out so that people understand the love of God, right? We had the opportunity to pray and minister to these two people, and it was so special, man. It was these beautiful moments, and do you know what they said afterwards? It was tears in their eyes, or like literally tears, tears going down their face. Thank you so much for coming. It gets so lonely. Thank you so much for being here. And it's those moments where you're like, the money and the time and the sacrifice. These guys are rock stars, man. Like I was thinking about it, like we, we've had the privilege of, 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 of God using us to help plant, uh, this is the third church now, in San Diego and Temecula. <laughs> Go ahead, you can laugh at me. I know it's, it's ridiculous. It's true, man. It's like, 
Oh, and I'm not trying to compare, like, people need Jesus everywhere, okay? There's no one person that's more important or valuable than another. They're all made in the image of God. But I'm just like, oh, the rock stars, man, and nobody knows their name. They don't have followers on Twitter. They don't have a book deal. They're not preaching to thousands, but they're laying their life down to see other people experience the love of God. Our physical presence matters spiritually, guys. Those of you guys that um, have spent any time in the church, you're familiar with what an altar call is, right? If you want to receive Jesus, come forward. People will dog on that, and it's not in the Bible, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, probably not in the Bible, but do you know what it is? It's a recognition that the physical and the spiritual are connected. That, that acting in faith actually has implications spiritually. It's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart. It's another thing to say, I don't give a rip if people think I'm a fool. I want the grace of Jesus. I'm, I'm going down. Do you know what I'm saying? So we can, you know, point and say, make fun and whatever. But there's a reality of the connection between the physical and the spiritual, guys. Our physical actions matter spiritually. So what does that mean for us? So let's just say on a Sunday, our church is way more than an event. But Sundays are important to us. We want to praise God. So when, when, when we're together and we're praising God, you're praising God with your voice and your body, not just one or not just the other, when you're praising him with all of who you are, physical actions matter spiritually, right? That's why we do that. Whether it's that or whether it's responding by coming forward for prayer at the end to be ministered to, to encounter God's love through another person and then ministering to you and praying for you. Um, whether it's prioritizing time with your church family. You guys do this so well. Um, honestly, you guys are just, I, don't, I hate to use the word killing it because it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's, it's like part of our culture. You guys are doing so well, like loving each other, sacrificing, um, not just like resources, uh, like with monetary stuff, but with time and energy and effort being together, whether you're serving or you're giving or you're caring or you're loving or you're traveling to different nations like we just did. Our physical actions matter spiritually because they're connected. What we do in the physical realm, it impacts the spiritual realm and vice versa. So, if your spiritual life is kind of struggling, feels off maybe, or maybe it's just like a disappointment in you, you want more but you're not experiencing more, or maybe just apathy, That's, I mean, we all go through all this stuff. If your spiritual life is struggling, can I just take a moment and love and exhort you with something? Can I exhort you? Can just take a look at your physical life. Examine it for just a minute. Take a look at your physical life. Are you doing things God's way? Like, are, are we living life the way that he says to live it that results in abundant life? You might think, like, dying to self, that doesn't result in abundant life. It does when you have everything that you've ever wanted, that every, every desire that's met in the person of Jesus, and it frees you up to live for the benefit of others, love others not expecting anything from them. That's freedom. There's no letdown. It's called satisfaction. Take a look at your physical life, man. Just examine it. If you're feeling off spiritually, check out what you're doing. Are we following in the path of Jesus, the way of Jesus, walking behind the rabbi, doing things that he does? He shows us how to be human. The spiritual and the physical are connected. Okay, I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. I am doing poorly on time. Sorry. We're close. We're close. Come on up, guys. I'm going to take a drink of water. You guys with me okay? Great. Um, let's be honest. Transparent. 
real? Who's freaked out about the coronavirus? Okay, a handful of people. Thank you for your honesty, girl. Yes, they're all too afraid. You have courage. Well done. <clears throat> all right, coronavirus. We're, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Um, You coughed? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm genuinely trying to think of uh, if there was another trip where there was as much kind of a, a worldly frenzy happening while I was traveling. And I don't think there was. Um, it was traveling, traveling with the coronavirus stuff frenzy was just interesting on this trip. And uh, it was, in fact, we flew from Istanbul to Rome, right, on the way home. We flew from Istanbul to Rome. Uh, via Turkish Airlines, and the very next day, Turkish Airlines canceled all flights to Italy, the whole country, uh, indefinitely. So, like, God totally protected us. It was wonderful. He provided for us. Um, thank God they didn't do it the day before because we'd be like, how are we going to get to how are we going to get to Rome? So, yeah, like, the airlines canceling flights. There's just this frenzy with the coronavirus, right? It wasn't just airlines canceling flights. Our flight home, we're standing in line, you know, checking our bags, get our boarding passes and go home. And gosh, man, like 10 or 12 people right in front of us, they're all college students. And all the college students were like kind of bantering back and forth. Oh, what, what school are you from? They didn't really know each other, but they knew they were college students because, you know, they have their classic sweaters and the whole thing. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be a joke. I'm sorry. I'm not making fun of college students, I promise. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of t- chatting back and forth and they're like, oh, so when did you get word? When did you get word? Oh, they kicked you out that fast. Like there, all this stuff happening. There's all these U.S. college students that were studying abroad, in our case in Rome, but all throughout Italy that had like a day or two's notice they had, they got kicked out of the country. They're going back home. And the kids are like, I don't know if we're going to get refund and our money and all, it's just all this kind of stuff. Frenzy. Frenzy. I got home and the, the, the day after I got home, I read an article in the New York Times that described the city of Rome as a ghost town. And I'm not going to give too much commentary here, but one of the things in the article said, um, it said the Trevi Fountain was empty. When, here's the thing though. We were there like 48 hours prior to that at night in the rain and it was standing room only. And I'm not trying to say the, uh, the guy who wrote the article was like lying, but there's just this frenzy. It's like there's just the airlines canceling flights and college students getting kicked out of the country and articles about how Rome's a ghost town and like Every, no one goes. To, no one go to Italy. And like we, we sat at this coffee shop, and this barista was like, "Hey, like, how did you guys get here? I've heard all that. It's like so hard to get in." And, and I'm more like, and she's like, "I know it's ridiculous. I don't understand. Their economy is tanking because no tourists are coming, and it's a huge piece for Italy." I'm not trying to comment on whether there's hype or not with the coronavirus. What we do know about the coronavirus is it's dangerous. People are dying, right? So I'm not here to comment on either way. We came home to like a lot of fear. I can just like sense it. People are afraid, man. People panicking, like stockpiling hand sanitizer 
and those painting masks. Stock market is like plummeting, right? So you probably should invest in Purell right now. <laughs> We're joking around about that one, right? Um, just this frenzy, man, and a lot of fear. And fear's never, fear causes us to do really silly things sometimes. Here's my point. The entire planet, the entire planet has, it seems to have this like urgency, this urgency to do whatever it takes to keep the virus from spreading. And it got me thinking, like what would the world do? Genuinely, what would the world do if a cure was discovered? Like, let your, let your imagination drift for just a second. It's safe. We're good on time. What would the world do if a cure was discovered? What do you think would happen? Personally, I like to think, I like to think that the world would, like, band together. Different nations, different people groups, like, working together to distribute that cure to everybody. We have the cure. Nobody needs to die. Like, let's get it going. Let's get it out there. Listen, I don't want to minimize the coronavirus at all. Please, please, please don't don't receive that from me. I'm not trying to minimize the coronavirus. But there's a far more dangerous disease out there than the coronavirus. Far more dangerous disease than the coronavirus. And it's infected the entire planet. The whole population. Sin. Sin. And sin is the most destructive, the most devastating infection ever. Because 100% of the time, it results in death. And not just of the body, but of the soul. Not just of the physical, but of the spiritual. And anyone who comes in contact with it, like that's everybody, gets infected. But there's good news. There's really good news. There's a cure. There's a cure to the infectious disease of sin. The gospel of Jesus. That God himself, the offended party in this whole thing, puts on flesh, comes to earth. He he literally like, he enters a sin-infected world. He lives the perfect life that you and I never could. And then he dies the death that you and I deserve for the ways that we reject him and do things our way and not his way. So the offended party becomes the substitute to cure the world, the sin-infected world of sin, to cure it once and for all. To fully forgive it. It's all paid for. It's done. You don't ever have to revisit your sin again. The moment you become aware of it, you can receive that forgiveness that was already paid for. Cured of sin. Forgiveness. Cured of sin in that it changes your desire. Every single one of us, we have something in common. We all desire to sin because it feels good. It's pleasurable for a moment. For a moment. And when you receive the love and grace of Jesus 
over and over. It's not a one-time deal. Every moment of every day when you receive the love and grace of Jesus, that again, God put on flesh, enter the sin-infected world. Do you know what happens to your desires? You don't want to sin that much anymore. What you'd way rather do is please the one who gladly and delightfully gave his life for you. So sin loses its power and it gets replaced with a greater power. And there'll be a day when sin just is completely removed from all of creation. And all that's left is love and peace and joy and harmony in the presence of God. Unity between God and man and man and man and man and creation. Jesus has cured the greatest disease in the history of the world, the disease of sin. So listen to me. Everything that we do as a church, every single thing that we do as a church in some way is related to getting the cure of the gospel out to the entire world. That's why we went on this trip. That's why we'll go on more trips. That's why we planted this church. That's why every church we planted prior to this, that's why we'll plant more churches, is to get the cure of the gospel out to everybody. Because what we do in the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm. And guys, there's millions of people who don't have access to the only cure for sin. That's the gospel of Jesus. So, so maybe you're here today, and if you're honest, maybe a little or maybe a lot, You're spiritually sick. You're spiritually sick. Maybe you're farther from God than you know you should be. Maybe you're living your life your way instead of God's way. It's a big one for me. Maybe sin's taking more and more ground in your heart. Maybe you're spiritually sick this morning. Or maybe you like love the gospel. Maybe you're like, oh, I can finally breathe. Like, I love the gospel. The cure for sin, it's like it's freed you. And all the while, there are billions of people all over the world, hundreds of thousands in this valley alone, who are terminally ill with sin. They're terminally ill with sin. And you've been keeping the cure to yourself enjoying all of its benefits, loving it. That's wonderful. Jesus died for that. But you got access to the cure, baby. Guys, the physical and the spiritual are connected. What you do matters. It matters. You matter. So, here's what I want to do genuinely want to invite the Spirit of God to minister to each of us, to touch us with power from on high. So here's what I want to do. If you want to receive power, genuinely, spiritually, the spiritual and the physical are connected, friends. If you want to receive power in the form of the grace of God through the Spirit of God, like power to heal you from your sin, Namely, that's one. Power for you to say no to sin and say yes to God. Or even power to motivate you to share the cure of the gospel with people who desperately need it. I'm going to invite you right now to where you're sitting to stand up. Because 
what we do in the physical realm impacts the spiritual realm. I'll wait a moment, but I'm gonna invite you to stand. If, if you want power from the spirit of God to heal you from your sin, to say no to sin, yes to God, or to motivate you to share the cure of the gospel with people who desperately need it, I'm gonna invite you to stand. Now, hey, really quickly, let's not play games. Like the mob mentality thing. Like, you're not standing before me. You're standing before God. You hear me say that? You're standing before God. He's holy, man. He is holy. But you know what else he is? He's incredibly gracious. He's incredibly loving. He's incredibly merciful. But he doesn't play games. He wants your heart, man. He wants the deepest part of who you are. I'm going to pray and just invite the Spirit to come, okay? Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We recognize that the the, the physical and the spiritual are connected. We recognize our need for you, your grace, your love, your presence. And we invite you and ask you now to pour your grace out on us whether it's the first time or the hundred millionth time. Holy Spirit, come. like some of you need reassurance that you're really forgiven, like your debt's completely paid. It's like the Spirit wants you to examine the cross. That Jesus willingly laid down his life for you because he loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't earn it. Don't try to earn it now. Just receive it. I feel like some of you, uh, I feel like there's people in the room who feel too dirty for this. Like, yeah, but there's just, there's some, there's things that are just real bad. Either that have been done to you or that you've done. I feel like Jesus wants you to know that he really is the king, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he uses that authority and he used that authority to make you clean if you receive that grace and love. And I feel like there's others of us in the room, like you just need to cry straight up. You need to give yourself over to grieving some of the painful things that you've experienced as an act of faith because the spiritual and the physical are there. God wants to heal you. Like he genuinely wants to heal deeper parts of your heart. So Spirit, I ask that you would bring those things to mind right now for each of us, if there's things that you want us to grieve over so that we can experience your healing in real ways, not conceptually, but physically in our bodies. We invite you, we look to you now, and we know that the answer is yes. We know that when we seek and we knock and we want you, we don't want things from you, but we want you, your answer is yes 100 times out of 100.
Jesus, thank you for coming to cure, to cure the disease of sin once and for all. We don't ever have to look back. We love you, Jesus. Amen.